What's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of SourceFind Asia, host of China Podcast, the host of the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel. And I hope you guys are having a great beginning to your summer. Um, lots of exciting stuff coming down through the pipeline. Obviously, next week is going to be, this is episode 99, and then next week is going to be episode 100, and we have a very, very special episode planned. Just came off of traveling for a month and a half. I spoke at the Global Sources Summit. Uh, traveled to Zambia for a couple of weeks. I was in the Philippines for a week. Um, we have our marketing intern, Luke, flying in tomorrow. Well, there are, well he arrives on a Friday, but technically he leaves tomorrow. He's flying in from Ottawa. Um, we have a new sales intern, Vincent, who started working for us just before uh, just just before I left. So about he's been working for us for about a month so far. Closed his first sale um, last week closing more sales this week it's, it's you know the company is expanding in the right way um really excited probably gonna start doing youtube ads soon so i'm really excited to see where things go uh the next few months of course we've been consistent with the pod the podcast almost for a year now i think we've been releasing an episode every week spotify listenership is growing um the youtube channels obviously is growing as well in terms of subscriber count um, and I think we're becoming more creative with the content. Like if you want to check out the YouTube channel, like Mike has his first video up there. Uh, he did an interview with Don Wilder, who recently launched a crowdfunding campaign. Um, and we have a special coupon code or whatever for, <laughs> for the viewers on the YouTube channel. Um, and then I think Mike is going to have another on the factory floor video out by the time this episode gets released. So, with uh, regards to this episode, this episode I interviewed Akash. He is a fascinating character. He's one of the most interesting. Uh, he's got one of the most interesting stories that I've met. Uh, I've 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 heard in China with regards to sourcing. Just a lot of craziness, a lot of you know really big highs and and some 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 lows, but lots of stuff to be learned. And I feel like I related so much to him, obviously because he runs a, a sourcing company. Although he's more niche down into fashion. Um, just the stories that we were talking about, like the amount of money that was on the line, the factories disappearing, like these are all things that were, I guess, a little bit more common in China back back in the day, but it still happens. And I think you can learn a lot from it. And, and us being in the same industry, it, it's just, it's interesting talking to somebody that basically does exactly what I does I do and then talking about the the horror stories <laughs> that, that can happen when you're in China so anyways without further ado enjoy the podcast and of course the video is the video cast version of this is up on YouTube as well so see you guys next week I don't want to be a product of my environment I want my environment to be a product of me Start, Let's start from the beginning. Let's do it. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hey, my name is Akash. Uh, I'm born and raised in Bangkok. Parents are from India. Uh, I've been living in China. So I grew up in Thailand till age. I was there till the age of 18. I went to university in Australia till the age of 22, and then I moved to China when I when I. But yeah, it's about 22, 2010. Yep. And I've been living in China ever since. 
So my introduction to you was from Felipe, and he was just like, you got to meet Akashi. That he has all these crazy war stories from his time in China. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've been through it all. Started out in China, 2010. We were kind of just doing everything possible, sourcing everything for everyone. So, and then you know, I've learned my lesson by dealing with suppliers here. But I've been through some pretty serious stuff in the past couple of years. Like, for example, a couple of factories shutting down halfway through my production.、Mm. Deposits. Without with no notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like、uh, I'll give you an example. But two years ago,、um, I was doing. I worked at a denim factory in Foshan, and、um, so I, we work. We have done actually a couple of orders with them before, and then and that was small orders, like ten, twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, it was, it was it was all right. And then I gave him a Big Daddy order, like it was like a hundred, a two hundred thousand dollar order, and I placed a deposit.、Mm. And he's like. And I told him, listen, stop taking deposits. You know when you develop like a good rapport with these suppliers, they usually help you out with credit. But、uh, he's like, no, 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 it's a big order. Help me out with the deposit. Maybe at least fifty grand or sixty grand. I was like, it's a lot of money to pay up front, you know, for this. He's like, no, 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 just give it to me. I'll make sure everything goes smooth. Figured it out. Sent him the deposit. Now there would be a red flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So what the thing is, we went. I've been there a couple times. I've already done orders with them before. Chip, no problem. You know. I was like, okay, whatever. He's like, I need it. I don't have that much cash lying around. I got, you know, I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll help you out. Send deposit. This was in end of July, two years ago. I remember really clearly because it was, yeah. So that went on,、uh, and he's like, oh, fabric takes about 20 days. It was, it was jeans, it was denim, right? 20 days. I'm like, it usually takes 10, 15, but okay, you know what? Takes 20 days. Takes 20 days. Let's let's fix. Now there would be another. Yeah, that's what. That's why I'm like, I went to him. I'm like, dude, that's 20 days. That's that's insane, you know. Say no, no, no! It's a special fabric. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna hold you to it. So I thought 20 days, you know, figure it out. Give himself an extra 10 day yeah, head start yeah, to get yeah, the yeah, fuck yeah. out of here. Yeah, yeah. So then, 20 days passed. So it was a fabric. He's still there. Factory's still running. I get there. He's like, no, no, no! There's some issue with the fabric. Another five days. I'm like, no, it's cat. You know, it's a big order. Deliveries in the 35 days. It's a big ass order. You tell me the fabric's not in. I mean, it reduces delivery time. Yeah. Right. This is August. I think third week of August, no fabric yet. End of August, no fabric yet. Deliveries September third week. Now, is、uh, the client starting to get anxious? Oh yeah, yeah. Samples not in. I mean, approvals are done. Yeah. But you know, you got to make a pre-production sample from the actual bulk fabric.、Right? So that happens, and then you're looking now. It's heading towards end of August. It's been 35 days since I paid deposit. Nothing in yet. He's like, no, no. Then I started calling him. Over and over again, showing up at his factory unannounced. I do. What's happening? He said, "No, guarantee this. Tomorrow, you'll get it delivered. No problem. Guarantee, guarantee." Tomorrow becomes tomorrow becomes tomorrow. Four days go by. I'm like, "Listen, I've had enough. Tell me, give me a solution, give me a conclusion. You know, we gotta figure this out because I need, I need to make my clients happy." This is now the fifth of September. Yeah, the first week, something like that, September. Calls me in the morning. So yeah, today afternoon for sure. Fabric's in. All right. I didn't want to start arguing with him too much. He told me it's in. I'm like, okay, fine. At three, four o'clock, I call him. He doesn't pick up my phone. Then I'm panicking. You know, three o'clock, four o'clock. He called. He finally picks up the phone at seven o'clock. And I've called him at least seventy or eighty times in the meanwhile. In the meantime, because I've shown up in his factory. He's not there, but other other staff are there. Staff don't know what's happening. You know, they're just doing their own thing.、He、calls me back at seven. He's like, can't do the order.、I'm、like why? He's like, oh no, I can't do it. I can't do it.、Uh, 
How about that money? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then I'm like, okay, I want the money. Like, I'll give it back to you later. Like, oh, oh, my God. <sighs> Next day, I go out, show up at his factory, chained up. Jeez. And I know people in Foshan, so I made a couple calls to my existing factories. I'm like, listen, what happened? He says, yeah, dude, this guy's been bankrupt for the past month. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, they've been having issues, all that stuff. And then a week later, for a week, for another five days, he doesn't pick up my phone. Finally, he calls me back about six days. This is like second week of September now. Yeah, about 10, 11. He's like, all right, I have the fabric. It's with the supplier. Okay, take me there. Took me there. Fabric's there. Yeah. He's not paid the supplier yet. He used my money to pay off his old debts. He's like, you know what? The little, little Ponzi scheme. Yeah, that's what he did. That's exactly what he did. So I'm like, all right. First name, really, last name. Murdoch, Madoff, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the Bernie Madoff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then, yeah, so then that happens. Uh, you know, we show up at the fabric factory. First, he's telling me that the fabric factory is the one area of China or Guangzhou. No, like city outside. But turns out it was actually the other area. Okay, fine, whatever. Get their fabrics there. So I want the money. So I can't do the order. I don't have money. Okay, so what about my money? Give it back to me. He's like, no, no, do this. Pay the supplier, yeah, pay them the balance of the fabric and take it. I'm like, dude, that's another 40 grand I got to cough up now because the fabric's really expensive. So I'm stressing out, come up with more money. And his explanation to you is that once you get the fabric, he'll make it for you? No, he said, take the fabric and do it yourself. So now I'm like thinking, my delivery's in a week. So his compensation for your 50 to 60K was to introduce you to the fabric supplier? (laughs) So basically, like, what he's done is that like, he's negotiating. Yeah. 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 He's negotiating with the fabric mill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So what he's done is negotiate with the fabric mill, saying these guys will pay you for all the fabric, yeah. and for me, for their agreement, whatever money he owed other people, he'll deal with it in their own time. It's now fifteenth of September, mid September. Yeah, the delivery was today. <laughs> My clients like this is bullshit. The next, literally, I suddenly tell him this. I'm like, I need another three weeks. He flies, he gets on the plane right then and there, flies down to see me. It's like, the Australians, they're ready to go off at you like this. That <laughs> like, was an interesting one hour conversation with him. I'm like, listen. Is that the last order with them? The factory or the no, client? No, with the client. It gets worse. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it gets worse. It's not it yet. I'm not there yet. Yeah, you're not there yet. Yeah. So then the factory comes in, the client comes in, whatever. I'm like, okay, you know what? This is it. I'll make the deliveries, I'll air it in for you. And this is like, the air, go, the air cost was going to cost me like 25 grand, but I want to make the client happy because they had delivery dates to me. I mean, I'll get it to you. It'll be two weeks late, but I'll get it to you. So, all right, fine. I pay the fabric. Another 40 grand. Pay the fabric out. There's 100 grand in already. I find another factory to do it. I'm like, listen, I have 20,000 pieces of denims. I need 20,000, 30,000 pieces of denims. I need delivery in three weeks. Can you do it? He's like, what? So he figured it out for me, found like four or five different factories, split it up. So initially I promised my client, I think it was first week of October. Then I pushed it to second week because I forgot the October holiday was on. Factories were closed for three days. Finally shipped it about mid-October. Gets there. This is after chip, figured it out, delivered in three in, in a month, gets there. Factory rushed it so quick that the labels were incorrect. A six was a 10, 10 was a 12. Oh my God. So then the, fact, the client, they had to fix it themselves. 
So on top of the of the bill that I got for uh, airing it, pay their I had to pay their fixing costs in which Australia. Which is in China. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why I yelled at my factory. Yeah, yeah. Like, RMA is going to be 15, yeah. $50 an hour. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and Australian salaries are high. Yeah. You know, they're not like in the US where it's $10, $12 minute. They're at $17, $18, you know? So. Cleaning crew. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I go there. I fly to Australia. I'm like, fuck, what do I do? You know, what do I do? Turns, and it was like, say about 20% of the product production was, you know, had problems with the labels. And I tell my factory, listen, you're paying for this. I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. They thought it was like one or two RB, a three RB. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not that cheap. It's the whole cost. Yeah, it's the whole cost. So <laughs> did, did they pay? In the end, I negotiated with the factory. I'm like, listen. We'll do half, half, whatever. Because it was not there. I mean, they rushed it for me, so I can't blame them completely. But at the same time, I did. So when you initially got that order and you thought you were, I'm, I'm in the money. Yeah. <laughs> because these guys, and then they were. This is my second order. The first order was smooth. I'm like, oh, you know what? First order was 100 grand. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. Yeah. They're like, yeah, if we like, if we we test you out for three seasons. After three seasons, it was guaranteed three million dollars a year, and I was doing the net 15, 20 percent. And payment terms were amazing. Goods get delivered, yeah. BLs in my hand, I get paid, I send the BL, we're good. But yeah. after this order? <sighs> after this, after negotiating how much fixing costs were and everything, I go to the meeting in Australia in like November. The manager, the buyer, they're both going off at me. The owner comes in, the CEO comes in. He's like, this is your order? No. Nah. We're done. No. Get the fuck out. <laughs> he walks out of the meeting. <laughs> oh, man. That was... Uh, and it was so shitty of him, the way he spoke to me. I'm just yeah. like, ah, oh, all right, whatever. But the manager and me were cool. He's like, man, shit happens. But I've never seen shit go that bad in my life. And he's been in the industry for 30 years. Yeah. I'm like, dude, tell me about it, man. I was just telling Rico we did a podcast or a video. Where? When I was talking about Laudu. Uh, it was a podcast. podcast, but I had a similar situation where I paid a bunch of money. It was the first big order. And it was the same exact scenario in that I saw these red flags and I started to press them really hard. And it started to be, oh, I have it tomorrow. Yeah. And then tomorrow was tomorrow. And then tomorrow yeah. was tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, had, he was just so... I don't know, a shame you didn't want to lose face. I, I don't know what it is when you haven't done a damn thing and yep. you lost all the money I gave you <laughs> to, to start this. Same. You're still going to tell me it's tomorrow. Did you end up, uh, that deposit that you, you paid him, did you end up getting that back? Or? No, so basically, we, we, uh, we got uh, the fabric out. So in the end, after taking the fabric and negotiating with the fabric supplier and all that stuff, I got money back. Yeah. But the amount of money I lost doing that order, because of the air cost, sending the stuff to Australia, it was a whole container. And uh, and also the fixing costs. Yeah. <laughs> I should just cancel the order. <laughs> you lost money, you didn't make money. Oh, <laughs> that's an lot. understatement of the year. <laughs> what happened to, what would have happened to that uh, factory boss? Have you ever? Yeah, so the, basically the guy did the same thing to other people too. Oh, jeez. So yeah. he really was. Right? Really was a Ponzi scheme, yeah. He was out here. So he bailed, ran away and he, at least I was happy that I got money back, kind of, but he screwed over a lot of other people too. It's crazy. Yeah. Must so that was one example. Must <laughs> have been in a big hole if he's. He's run away. He's in some city. He's in Guangxi right now, apparently. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Right, the mafia hasn't come after. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they probably have, but. 
I mean, that's one bad example. I mean, I've had issues here and there too, but that's probably the worst things ever happened to me. It's interesting the solution that you ended up coming up with, where you, you found a factory that found like multiple suppliers to get the order done, and that's what basically what we did with the fidget spinners, where we had to get four factories to produce simultaneously um, in order to get like a certain amount within two weeks. Uh, yeah, that's when the whole craze of the fidget spinners were out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two summers ago. And within three to six months of completing that order. There was completely faded out. Yeah, yeah, yeah done. <laughs> there was these giant warehouses just filled with yeah, hundreds yeah, yeah, of thousands yeah, yeah. of fidget spinners because down in Shenzhen. All those machinery that used to make fidget spinners were actually machines to like make stuff from other machines and yeah, automobiles yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Right? Well, the, when we were going to visit and find factories to help us um, to expand the production range, there was factories that were making something else, but they had just literally pushed all their yeah, shit yeah, yeah. into a corner yeah. and set up fidget, fidget operation. Yeah. <laughs> and those, those factories that are well, we were having conversations with factories about partnering up because <laughs> yeah. it was like running oh, their yeah, factories. Running their factory, factory, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, we'll open up these lines and all that stuff. Is like, yeah. nope. Well, a couple of months later, a couple of months later, not one done. person wanted the pitch. <laughs> the WeChat group was dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, so that's the craziest story. But you, you've got quite a few. Oh yeah, I do have quite a few. I mean, that was a, probably the worst of the worst. Probably worst was uh, another another problem. Another issue I had was with a client of mine uh, in the Middle East. So these guys are a big group. They've been around for eighty years, and uh, we didn't order with them. Amazing. Second order, amazing. First few orders, like $30,000, $40,000. But then I knew these guys were big, so I just kept feeding them stuff, sending them emails, sending them developments, keep calling them, hey, how's it going? You know, try to keep a good relationship with them. And uh, the next order came in. They basically ordered stuff from July all the way till Chinese New Year. And they gave it order right away. They're like, we need delivery August, September, October, November, because they wanted to get everything out before Chinese New Year. Amazing. Half a million dollar order. I'm on top of the world. Biggest order I ever had in my life. Just four years ago. Okay. And they don't pay a deposit, but cash on delivery. That's okay. And they're big guys. I know these guys are backed up like money, like big, big air money backed up, you know? Like, like uh, royal money. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know what? All right, you know what? I'll figure it out. Let's do it. So samples get made. Approvals get made. Royal oil money. I had, yeah. I had to say that. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It was just in my brain. <laughs> so everything's approved. We get to go out and go to production. And I have fabrics in house everywhere to go. So they start making the pattern. You know, with, with clothing, and make, first you gotta make the pattern on the paper, then you gotta cut the fabric. Yeah. So this is the stage where everything was cut in the shape, and then all they had to do was put the two new fabrics together and start sewing. First delivery was in July or beginning of August. And this was early July. First, second, third, one, one, first week of July. Right. This is the stage we're at. And we were, I told my factory, listen, take care of this client because sky's the limit with these guys. Like, I, I know people who work with them in the past, their lives are made with this client. Like, one, two million dollars is the easiest thing, the easiest orders they can give you. Do you, do you um, what, what year is this? This is four years ago, right? Four years ago. Do you think. Did the factory believe you when you said that? Do you yeah. feel like they, they were yeah. like, okay, this is legit? And, yeah. Because I was just thinking about this aspect of, because I, I should probably do a video about this where you know, a lot of people always tell the factories, yeah, it's going to be big. We're going to, yeah. you know, one year from now, we're going to be doing millions of dollars. Yeah. And it's like, 
90% of the time. It's, it's because I believe it too, because yeah. I know how big these guys are. Yeah. And fortunately for me, I've learned the language, Mandarin, and also learned the culture. And I'm Asian too, I'm Thai, so it's like very similar culture. But he's just saying that the factors here this all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, but like you know, you gotta, you gotta get, you gotta connect to them at a different level. You can't just be like, oh, this no, is normal. Know you're legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just like, you if you believe it, you can make anyone believe you. Yeah. Well, I also think, I also think, like you said, because you're here and you're you, you're running a you know, import export business. I think it's a little bit different coming from you versus coming from the client mm. direct. Because um, the same thing for me, it's like I, we rarely say that to factories, right. unless we really believe it, and that's very rare that we believe it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, so I was, I believed it, so I convinced them. Listen, get these guys right. Next year, we're good. Everybody's good. Just, yeah, I told payment on delivery. Clients love that, love that word, payment on delivery. When you when you talk credit, then they're like, all right, let's 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 work this out. But anyway, everything's cut. I remember this really clearly. July 3rd. I go to bed thinking, you know what, everything's done great. July 3rd at 4 a.m. we get an email from my client. And they shoot out the email to all suppliers saying, blah, blah, uh, we're, we can't, we're no longer in operation. Please let me know how we can redirect your goods to other clients and we will pay a shipping cost for you. <laughs> I would wake up the next day. Calling them over and over again, messages and email, no reply. Office shut down, everyone's running. Business closed. Yeah, they're done. And they've, they've been in the business for 80 years. The reason that they closed down is because you know the whole Saudi situation in Qatar? You know Qatar closed off in the Middle East? That was then, oh, okay. in, in, during that time. So I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Tell a factory, listen, stop. When you tell a factory, stop production halfway. They start worrying, you know? <laughs> I shouldn't have done that, but I didn't know what to do. So, uh, finally, the, the clients reply about a week later saying, we're not on business, we don't have any money, whatever investments they made didn't work out, all that crap. So then I'm like, what do I do? So I start figuring out, how do I sell it? Even though if I don't make a profit, I don't care. Right. I found buyers in the same industry, in the same area, like Middle East, but I wasn't getting, like, the cost of making the order and selling it off was at a far, a far wide, uh, more cost than me, me than canceling profit. it. Yeah, me canceling oh, the goods. Okay, okay. Yeah, because yeah. I, I already paid deposits to the factory. Yeah. Right? So you're going to lose the deposit. Yeah. And see, the, other, cha- the other, other side of it was I do the order, but sell it at a complete loss. Not even like a bit loss. It's like I should just, I, canceling the order would be beneficial for me. Yeah. yeah. Two weeks went by, clients are like, no, we have money, they run away. Finally, the, one of their managers come back in the email saying, hey guys, we're not, we're not working, we're not in the operation anymore. And all their businesses have been taken over by the banks. Yeah. So I had over $100,000 worth of fabric. And I paid for half of it, about 50 grand. And factories are coming after me now. So... That went on for about a month, just going back and forth to fabric, with the factory, with the fabric mill. In the end, I had to, me, me and the factory agreed on something, but at the same time, I gave them other orders. So I'm like, listen, I'm giving you orders continually. Just forget about this, we'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll, we'll make the money back. We'll make the money back. <laughs> but the, the, the fabric that I purchased before, all the stuff they cut before, I couldn't sell. Wow. So that's just basically chucked in the bin. 
But I mean, that's also a good like. That's also a good lesson. Is like you have to, if you have that relationship with the with the factories, if you end up in a situation like that, you can still work it out yeah. because they know that they're going to be processing other orders with you, right? Like, yeah, but you yeah. immediately have other stuff to toss on. Um, having been through these situations, what do you do differently now to ensure that doesn't happen again? Now, when I work with, well, see, I think with the clients, you can't predict. Especially with a company, like I said, the Middle East, it's 80 years in business. Never had any stories that come up, that came out about them saying they were in a financial situation where they couldn't afford to do business. Nothing like that. But with the factories now, so what I've done is I've hired a QC, but a QC manager that will will go visit the, like I, I do a lot of my sourcing myself. I do a lot of LinkedIn, Alibaba, cold calling factories, or sometimes I just rock up to their factory and drive in and be like, hey, where's your boss? <laughs> <laughs> I do that all the time. You guys, yeah, walk into the factory and the guy's like, who the hell are you? But I do that because I know like certain areas. It's a long way by the... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So I walk in, they'd be like, are you kidding me? But no, I'm like, yeah, I see your stuff. I saw, I was walking by, I was driving by, I saw you guys. I'm like, oh. Just happened check. to be driving yeah, by. Yeah, 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 yeah. Industrial area. Of- yeah, yeah. Because like certain, like for <laughs> example, like neighborhood. That, exactly, exactly. Okay, so I was playing squash down the road. yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I noticed you. Yeah. <laughs> so, there's certain areas that in Guangdong especially, it's quite organized in a certain way that the denim guys are here, the knitwear guys are here. So I'm like, all right, you know what? I've already visited a factory nearby. I was just driving around. I see another factory there. Drove in. But now what I do is that instead of just walking in and giving orders straight away, I send my QC manager to go in that area Go visit the factory at the same time. We're also doing business with other factories in that area, right? But then he would go find out through his contact. That's the network. Yeah. yeah. To, about to, the factory. About that factory. Yeah. Which is what I should have done since the beginning. So I started business in China. I learned the hard way, but now that's all I do. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I mean we had our situation with the CrossFit equipment factory. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was like basically how we found out that he was, what he was, was just talking to like other factories in the space and then they kind of gave us a rundown. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. The more competitors we reached out to, the more we got the backstory yeah. of what he was oh, really what about. Because he, really yeah. he was pretending to produce all the goods, but really it was just like producing 20% of the goods and then yeah. outsourcing yeah. the... Outsourcing. But a lot of factories do that though. Yeah, for sure. But see... I don't care as much, as long as they take care of it. Yeah, as long as they take care of it. But we ended up in a situation where we were delivering the goods three, four months late. Yeah. You know, which was just not a fun experience. <laughs> How did you meet uh, Felipe? Uh, um, so you know the guys from Brink, right? Yeah. Manav. All of you guys. Manav's one of my boys from Bachelor Day. And um, so I was hanging out with Manav. Back when, before we moved to Hong Kong, mm-hmm. this is like, because when I first moved here, there's not many people, not, many, not much of an international crew. And when you kind of see people, and you just kind of... How many of you guys never met, man? Yeah. I actually want to show you somebody, man. <laughs> I want to show you somebody. So, <laughs> like, so Manu was my boy back in the day, and then uh, it, through him, I met a couple other people. And then through him, I met Archit. You know Archit? Uh, he also with Brink. No. Well, yeah. not with Brink anymore. He used to be a bring now, he's, just, he's doing his master's in the US. Okay. So I met Archit and then we started hitting it off. Like, it turned out we had a lot of common friends because he's from Dubai. Yeah. And I have people from Dubai and you.
Um, so yeah, we're hanging. I'm like, I started hanging out with Archer quite a bit, and then he's like, let's 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 do a trip. I'm like, yeah, let's go to Yang. He told me let's go to Yangshuo in Guilin. I'm like, dude, I'm down. I've never been. Because you know, whenever you get a chance to go on a holiday here in China, you get out of China. Yeah. Because it's just too crazy. <laughs> Especially during the public holidays. I said, no, let's do this. I'm like, all right, let's do it. Try to look for com- try to look for transportation. Trains, planes, all full. I'm like, you know what? I got a car. Let's drive to Yangshuo. Five-hour drive, mind you. But uh, he's like, oh, I got a friend coming too. Okay, cool. Yeah, I took a... I took an eight-hour, well, it wasn't supposed to be eight hours, but it ended up being eight hours. I took an eight-hour bus. Yeah. You know, the sleeper bus. Yeah. yeah. To Yangshuo, that was, that was yeah. interesting. I went to Yangshuo during like a busy vacation time. I went on October break. The whole weekend. Oh. Trip. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. I was like, this is not a fucking holiday. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm body to body with five It was, yeah, 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 exactly, people. exactly. Oh, seeing this great river, this is awful, man. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> I gotta get the fuck out of here. So... At 5.30, I call Archer, let's go, and then we go. He's like, oh, I'll pick up a friend too. I'm like, okay, cool. I drove up, and Felipe got in the car. And these guys pass out when I'm driving the young show. That's it. We, me and Felipe, since then, we've been, we've been boys. You know? That's cool. I just had him on, um, on the, we just released a video with Felipe. It's an episode that released yesterday. So, but yeah, man. What about uh, so Felipe and you know all the Brink guys? I guess you met Nick through all those Through Brink guys, yeah. The Brink guys. And did you meet Tim, Nick's old business partner? Nick's old but Tim. Do you plan to be in China for the well, future? I mean, I'm not sure at the moment because I'm starting a new business in China where I'm selling a product in China itself. Mm-hmm. We're actually doing a launch at Po Park, you know, the next, the yeah, next sure. station. Yeah, yeah. So on uh, 3rd and 4th of May. Okay. Uh, What's the product? Can you, can you... Yeah, yeah. So it's a, it's, a product, it's a brand called Nanix. It's from Belgium. And it's, so you know, you know brands in the US like Crep Protect, Jason Mark, the sneaker cleaning? Yeah. So I've launched my own brand in China where it's shoe protection okay. against liquids, wine, coffee. Not only for shoes, handbags, jack, whatever you want to coat. So like it's in a, it's a can aerosol can like rain. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like the the girls down at the railway station are trying to hustle. <laughs> <laughs> Give it to them hustle. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's a, it's a brand from Belgium, and uh, we're launching in China third and fourth of May at the Po Park, and we're also finalizing the WeChat and Taobao page. Then I've, I found a marketing company to help me do the marketing in China. So are you? Do you have a partner here? Or? Yeah, I have a partner. Uh, Eric he used to be the head of Collier's China, uh, Collier South China. Okay. Yeah, because um, the same brand, I'm a partner with the. We have a we have the same brand in Thailand. I'm a partner in that. It's called Always Dry. You're selling in Thailand now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, so we're only we're selling right now in Bangkok, um, in uh, so we're doing online through influencers, Instagram, all that, and we're also selling it through Superstore, which is like a, it's a franchise of retail um, retail shoes. Through, uh, through your own site or through Lazada or something? No, we don't do Lazada, but we do other websites too. Any particular reason why you're not selling on Lazada? Don't particularly enjoy like. I mean, we, we are selling on Lazada, but sales weren't that great in Lazada, hmm. and we're we're able to target clients directly ourselves. So it's so interesting because I mean, I was like talking to Alan um, about Lazada, and like, I, I mean, obviously there's a lot of potential there, but. Yeah. Even when I went to the Philippines, like a lot of people didn't like, they just don't like the platform. Like, mm. uh, they're gonna have to figure out their shit. Yeah. 
Ari, uh, okay, so we talked a lot about some crazy stories, but what is uh, what is one of your biggest successes in business in China? Well, the Chinese, this brand I'm launching in China is my baby right now. Because yeah. this launches the way I see the growth potential. Because in Bangkok, sales are doing amazing right now. And Bangkok is a dot compared to how big China can be, you know? You have Guangzhou, Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen, it's really big. So if it if it replicates or even if it duplicates the business from, from Thailand, mm. even one-to-one duplication, I'll be more than happy. Because the sale potential in China is huge, right? If this kicks off the way I see it, and it runs for the next year or two, I'm done with trading. Because <laughs> the potential is huge. Hanging up your sourcing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sourcing I mean, boots. see, I enjoy sourcing. I enjoy the hustle part. I enjoy doing fashion. You know, that's the passion mine is. But if, uh, if, if that does take place, and that's kind of how, how how things move, do you see yourself staying here, or would you relocate? Uh, no. To operate the business? So, China will always be my my base for work. Right. But eventually, my plan is to move back to Bangkok. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a Thai citizen. Parents are there. Family's there. You know, Bangkok, Thailand. It's so chill. Like, so what's what what situation are you? Do you have to be in to decide to just move back? Is it like when well, you feel like you've set up? Your yeah. Business here, and yeah. it's like, okay, I'm, I'm making enough money from yeah. here, and all that stuff. Yeah. It's automated. I mean, right now, a lot of my sourcing business, I can't hand it off to my staff. Like, no matter how well trained my staff are. My, they will never be in a position to run the company where I can take a step back and let them run it. I need to be on it with the factories, like certain things like prices. Factory tells me a price, 60 RMB. I'm like, no, no, it's 55. And the, then, you know, my staff would be like, okay, it's 60, whatever. But then, you know, I'll call and hustle and be like, no, listen, I know how much this costs. I know how much this costs. Why are you hustling me now? Yeah. But so they, well, that's part of that is um, your. You're, like the way it is is you buy and sell to the clients, right? Yeah. Like so, you make money with the margins. Yeah. So that's a bit, but then you the staff isn't as invested because they're, they're staff. Get they're a not. Salary. It's not their company. Yeah. They're getting paid every month. Right. Do you ever think about um, I don't know promoting one of your employees, giving them like a percentage? I don't. It would still or, never give them the. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say courage, but just. It wouldn't give them any other incentive to grow, even though they have percent of the company, percent of profits. I don't. I still don't see them, you know, investing themselves into this, hundred percent. Like, unless it's their company. But then I feel like, with Chinese people in general, I don't feel like their hustle. I mean, they they work hard, but then they won't be able to ever run a company like the way we run it. They might have a different way to run things, you know, but. Just I, the way they run the business, the way I run the business, completely different. And also, basically, it is my company. You know, even though I'm probably not the best businessman in the world, but I want things done my way. Do you, so then the alternative is then hiring like a foreigner. Yeah, we were thinking about doing that, but again, you know, like, another issue on its own. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get the right. There have to be somebody that. Is familiar with business in exactly, China. exactly, and it, you know it's home. added expenses, especially now in China. It, salaries are so high for Chinese staff now. It's like, is it affordable? Foreign staff is just yeah. yeah, that's what that's one of the someone that wants to be here. Full-time. Exactly, that's one of the reason why I moved my office from Zhejiang to Panyu. Yeah, my office rent is third, a third of what it used to be. You know, and then I have seven staff, and if I hired more staff and a manager, my expenses to the roof. I mean, does my business? Do I do enough business? to be able to afford more staff and a manager. Yeah. Or do I just figure out a way that I can run it 
I mean, the, the end game for me is that I want to be able to work from Bangkok, but still come back and forth here enough. Unfortunately, for Bangkok, it's two and a half hour flight. I can just hop on and hop up whenever I need to. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching, you're preaching to the choir, man. I'm, yeah. I'm all here trying to move to the Philippines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the exact same situation. It's like two and a half hour flight, yeah. four hour flight. Um, you want to be managing the business remotely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I understand that for sure. That's kind of the. I feel like here, you almost have to have like a hybrid of. You have a Chinese employee who's a superstar who can deal with factory stuff, but then you also need to have kind of like a foreign person present dealing with clientele, dealing with the business management as a whole. Now finding that person is always that's always going to be the issue. It's a job in itself. Yeah, I mean. It's only fine that person. Like I have friend of friends of mine who have done exactly that. Yeah, they've hired staff. Like there's a big Indian trading company here. I'm not gonna say names, but they've hired staff and they're giving them management roles to run their own like certain brands. Like yeah. okay, you know what? We're working this brand. You handle it. There's a team of staff you have to deal with. They'll take their cut. You know, we give them commission. You know, they give them commission, ownership. I mean, percent of sales and stuff. But they'll still take a back-end commission from the factory, you know, where it just turns ugly. But again, like, is that a problem or not? I don't know. It depends on you. Because I mean, yes, you're taking a cut, but at the same time, they're managing the product. They're, they're, they're doing it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I okay. We're obviously, obviously, you want people to be honest, but yeah. I mean, if it's not really affecting your prices, and it's not really affecting the clients' prices, the quality of the product, still making money. Uh, who I was telling Rico when. Uh, when I first started the business, we had an employee who worked with us for about three years. It started to sour. We realized, that, you know, we had to let her go. And I took up the task of trying to reconnect with all the factories who she was the lead on. Yeah. And what I found was every single one of the products from all of those factories, when I went back in to check on everything, all my prices dropped. <laughs> She'd been running it for three years and prices had steadily been going up in China, but yet all of my prices yeah. dropped. So it's like, oh, I'm doing pretty well off of this, uh, this job for the past three years. Huh? <laughs> to the point where she ended up... Within a couple of years after she left, I know she went, she, she transitioned to a good job, but yeah, from, from what I heard, she was buying properties. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the same thing when I, the, my you friend's know? company went down <laughs> to the Maldives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just trying to keep the lights on, girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're killing it out here. I mean, that is business, but I don't know. What 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 line you draw? Like, is that business good business? Because they're hustling, so they're like, you know what? I want to make more money out of this. Yeah. Or is it being dishonest and driven? You know? That's what happened to me twice. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I deal with the factory bosses directly when it comes to prices and orders. Yeah. In terms of development, sampling, development, order lead time, all that stuff, merchandising stuff, it's them. But pricing and delivery dates, that's me. I think, I think you know, I still make decisions on the final supplier for me. Like, so I look at the prices, we compare the market, and it's always, it always comes down to me and the client doesn't make any decision on the final supplier. We're a little bit different because we take our payments as a, a separate consulting fee. Mm. So, I mean, I mean, I, I guess the staff could still make a deal with the factory, but it's like not we're not paying the factory yeah, ourselves. So, yeah, yeah, for them to do, to do so, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit different. 
But uh, I don't know, how would I feel? Like, how would I feel if I found out one of the employees was taking that guy? I guess I would. I probably would fire that person. I fired both my staff that did that to me. You did? Yeah. Right off the bat. Was it significant? Um, well, say it's over a span of a year. Sure. You kept taking one, two R&B from the press. I mean, you're doing big business. Yeah, man. I mean, I, mean, she, he, I guarantee on average he made an extra eight to ten thousand RMB a month. He's on top of the salary I was paying him already was, was eight thousand. <laughs> and uh, eight thousand four years ago, yeah, eight thousand RMB four years ago was a lot. A huge salary, yeah, but see, way more than their salary. Exactly. At the time. <laughs> you weren't paying him ten thousand a month. No way. Three to four at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. Like three yeah. to five. Yeah. So that staff specifically was making a little higher because the way he was managing the order. I was like, proof, I ain't gotta do shit. You know? Can you step back? I'll get the prices. He'll deal with it. I was like, perfect. His emails were good. He hustled hard with the fact, pushed them. Great. But, you know, he was, see, in terms of as a merchandiser, not, uh, I mean, besides the fact that he, he was making money on the side, but as a merchandiser, he was actually really good. You know? Everything was organized. His desk was clean. Everything was folder. And you know, you access his computer through a network, the network, shared network, clean. You know, so in the beginning, I just Super kept my mouth shut. Yeah. He had quite a bit of extra incentive. Yeah, to do yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> so in the beginning, I just kept my mouth shut. But yeah. then, it turned, then I, I found out he started with a lot of factories that I work with. I'm yeah. like, you know what, this is gonna stop. How did he, you find out? Uh, so you followed up. No, so basically, that. initially, I relied on the factories that he brought to me. Okay. Yeah. Because he said, you know what, you're doing denims. I have three factories I work with. Don't worry about it. I got this. Yeah. And I went to meet the boss and everything, you know. But he already had an agreement with the boss. Like, I'll bring this client, give me money on the side. Yeah. But then I started getting close with the boss. You know Chinese people, KTV, drinking yeah, Chinese yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. Then we started getting, developing a good rap for where he used to call me over. His son's birthday called me over. I'm like, oh, okay. And then, he, then it went on and I kept pushing him down for prices because I'm like, listen, clients getting better prices. I need prices now. And one drunk in the KTV yeah. night, he spilled uh, the beans. <laughs> it was exactly one I'll night out drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lee Madoff over there. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then again, like, how much can you micromanage as well? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, this, I mean, to, yeah, at the end of the day, it happens. Obviously, it happens. I think it happens more frequently here, but this kind of stuff happens in business around the world, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes more so here when you're a foreigner running yeah, a company because you don't have as many protections. Yeah, and people feel like they can take more advantage of you because. Oh yeah. Of that. Oh, I feel all the time. I feel like because I'm a foreigner, I get taken advantage of. What? Yeah. Like foreigner tax. <laughs> That's it. That's exactly that. So even C Trip, right? Like C Trip, the app for people who don't know, it's a, it's a, it's like Booking.com. You can yeah. book yeah. plane tickets, uh, hotels, and stuff. There's a Chinese version, there's a foreigner version. Yep. The Chinese version is cheaper than the foreigner yep. version. It's just, Facts, yeah. It's just the way it is. So I, I, for all the basketball stuff, I bring pro players to China to, to play and we move all over the place. So I'm moving 10 to 20 guys around at all times and I book everything through a Chinese pro. And yeah, I, I go and I search out the flights on sea trip or on kayak or whatever and then when she comes back, it's always a good Good 10%, 10, ten to 15 percent even, even down to the freaking VIP lounge in the airport. Yeah. It's more expensive for foreigners. I was like, with the foreigners, I can We had to translate this to English, so yeah. pay up. <laughs> well, the thing is that same thing happens a lot of places, like in Thailand, yeah. too. Yeah, oh man, absolutely. Like you go into like theme parks, temples, 
There's something in Thai and then something Definitely in English. Definitely the two. Yeah. yeah, yeah, oh, for sure. <laughs> but that's still, that's because they're trying to hustle from foreign. But I'm seeing even legal businesses, yeah. like temples and theme parks. and you know, they, it's, it's all based around tourism. So yeah. yeah. It's a like Thai price, which is in Thai, and then it's the English price for foreign. Yeah, it's also that aspect, because it's so, like, the cost is so cheap anyways. Like, people just come in and they're like, oh, this is so cheap. And yeah. they're like, oh, okay, you think it's cheap, huh? I always like right. to tell the story. When I first <laughs> moved to China, I, um, it was during Chinese New Year, and a friend, a Chinese friend in the States, recommended that I stay at uh, the White Swan Hotel. <laughs> so my first two weeks in China, I was living at the White Swan. And it was yeah. during Chinese New Year, so it's really quiet. Yeah. That's, nowadays, there's a ton of people there during Chinese New Year, but when I got there, there was nobody. Yeah. And I just remember walking around Xiamian Island and, and thinking, oh my God, man, these DVDs are like 50 RMB. This is amazing. <laughs> you know, I'd go to eat and I'd spend like $15 on this big meal. I was like, this is yeah. incredible. Yeah. And then like four days later, I ventured across the street and I was like, oh damn, I'm getting smacked over here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> DVDs are like 8 RMB. I've been paying 50 all week. Yeah. You know? But yeah, the whole end game for me is that uh, the next, I mean, I don't want to keep a direct timeline, but in the next two to five years, I want to be based out of Bangkok. Uh, and then fly back and forth forever. So obviously you you're like you've been here for a while and you have like this network. Do you know a lot of other sourcing companies, like trading companies here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all, a bunch of my friends are a lot. Basically, 80, 90% of my friends are traders. Traders. I mean, I know some of like some of the guys that are based in Guangzhou, uh, but these are guys that to me I think have a bigger online presence. Like the guys that you know. Do they have like an online presence or is it how, how do they usually get their customers? Is it more the traditional sourcing where they traditional where Alibaba or trade fairs? I'm curious, like there aren't that many maybe I shouldn't even call it. But I was like there's just not that many there's just that many uh, of people in our industry that are like making, you know, content like YouTube and podcasts and stuff like that. Like, Barely. Do you know why? Now actually you have an I oh see there's only another arm of exactly. your company that you've got to manage. Do you operate. have the time, the knowledge, the mm-hmm. capacity, the patience to focus on that when you have your other shit to worry about? Yeah. You know? You're not going to make dope content from exactly. day one. Exactly. But at the same time, you, you got to pay your bills. At the same time, you're trying to make money. Yeah. But see, it's because they don't know. You know when you're in China for so long, you forget what's outside. Huh? I've been in the apparel industry for so long. Yeah. I should have created my own brand overseas. I would have killed it. Because mm. my price is on point. My sales are yeah, on so point. I was, I was about to ask you that question because you said you're not launching that. Yeah, brand that's in China. exactly. I was like, well, how come you haven't done the exactly? See, be- it's the- because like you know, like, I wanted to do it in Thailand. Okay, yeah. could easily done it. The problem is I'm not there. I need someone to who's as passionate as me mm. to take the product and focus on all the online stuff. I can't do that running here. Yeah. If I had to do that and manage production here and manage the office here, I lose my mind. I go, with, <laughs> uh, uh, you know. It's, Especially dealing with, you know, it's overseas again. I got a call, message, chase up on them and say like any physical delivery stuff, logistic stuff. I'm not even there, which is one of the reasons why I never got into it. But I am getting into it now in China and in India. I'm starting my own online brand in India. One of my boys from college pitched this idea to me about a year ago. I said, you know what? Why didn't we ever do this six years ago? I went to college with this guy. We finished 10 years ago. I'm like, why didn't, we, why didn't you ever mention this before? He's like, yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> So he's he's basically his company in India is called Slick Adventures. It's basically a social marketing company. 
you give them the product, you give them the brand name, give them your prices, they'll do everything from Amazon, Instagram, finding influencers, you know, the whole shebang. I was like, we should have done this, and I'm doing that now. I'm launching that brand in July. Okay. So you you think it's just basically like when you've been in China for a certain amount of time, you just get into that vortex, yep. and then they're not really paying yep. attention to exactly how stuff is developing. It's not that yeah, it's not that by choice. It's just yes. because you have so much going on here. Yeah, like you kind of the demands of running exactly. A I mean, it, it's not nine to five. It's yep. like ten to one in the morning. You know, yep. it's like it's never ending. Especially when you have clients on the other side. Of the exactly. World. I have clients in Australia, so my email started at five thirty in the morning. But then my emails end at 2 a.m. at night, you know? So just it's constant emails coming back and forth. You know, my brother and I managed the business and my sister-in-law, she joined us too uh, when, when they got married. So, you know, the roles are divided, but still at the same time, we actively had to be involved in everything. Even though she handles something else, my brother handles something else, I handle something else. But we still have to be cc all the emails just in case you know, someone needs to do this, someone needs to do that, you know, it's just, it's a, because you're so busy mm. on your day-to-day, you're just trying to get through the week and hope nothing goes wrong, mm. hope no factories run away, hope no clients run away, you know, you have so many problems, so many things on your plate, you know, you just tend to forget what's happening outside. And they are, like, now I'm seeing a lot of Chinese people who are moving away from Alibaba, moving towards LinkedIn. Yeah. I was shocked at how yeah, many supplies on LinkedIn. I get it. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Chinese, Chinese it's straight free. I know it's not free. It's cheaper, factory. a lot cheaper. Yeah. So like you know, Alibaba, Alibaba a year would cost you about the, the VIP, the gold pack is like six grand. Really, yeah, yeah. Can you really present your products the same? No, way? no it's more no, no, well, like it's like it's, it's um outbound uh, marketing. It's like so telemarketing but online now. So yeah. they'll message you and say, hey, you know, uh, Rico, you 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 run a trading company. We sell these products. Here's a link to our website. Yeah. yeah. So. I do that too. Yeah. Uh, about two years ago, so the whole Middle East thing happened. And that's the point where 50% of our business was in the Middle East. And I'm like, you know what? I need to start venturing out of the Middle East because it was, they had their problems. And I need to let me hustle. I remember it was Chinese New Year two years ago. I got the VIP package of LinkedIn, which is 100 bucks a month. And then I emailed and cold called and messaged at least 150 companies. Australia, New Zealand. UK, uh, Scotland, US, at least 150 companies in that during Chinese New Year, so two, those three weeks. I got orders from two of them. <laughs> and I'm still working on one of them today. The second one was the Australian company that actually screwed up. <laughs> but, you know, it's a lot of effort. It's like, it's like telemarketing where you just call and hustle. They're probably like, never respond to any LinkedIn messages. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Never again, mate. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> um, that's, uh, that's, that's Jordan Kalfas type. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because, you know, with, with, with LinkedIn, you message them, call them, email them, right? And it's just that one time someone says, all right, you know what, shoot me an email. The second you have the email address, you're set. Then it's all about your product and your email and how organized it can be. Because until they don't respond or until they don't give you the email address, then you have nothing. And a couple of times where I haven't got email address, I get names and I'm just calling the hotline. Like, hey, is this person there? How you doing? So what products do you focus on now? Just so people know. Well, well, I'm mainly in clothing, women's fashion. Women's fashion. 80% of my business is women's fashion. I also do men's. Uh, with I work with fast fashion companies in the UK and in the show. 
I wanted to ask you because um, I haven't done so much with apparel. You haven't had too many apparel orders. Some. We've, like, we've, we've done more of the sort of like the report side, not yeah. actual production. Uh, from my understanding, a lot of the apparel is moving out of China, especially South China. Uh, depends which market you're working with, right? Uh, for example, with the U.S., you know, it's a lot of it's a price game, and especially with duties, cheap stuff you order out of Bangladesh or India, right? Indonesia, Indonesia, uh, not much Thailand, Burma, you know, zero tax, Vietnam. And, so, and when they're buying from China, it costs 12% more, right? The right. tax is 12%. And the cost of operating here is continuing to go But they're more efficient here. Econ they've got economies of scale on point. Without a doubt, yeah. Like, I'm surprised. Like, I went back to Thailand with my samples. I'm thinking, you know what? Labor's cheaper in Thailand. Let me do this. It costs more. I'm like, how? Then I'm like, oh, wait. They work 10 to 4. You know, <laughs> they don't work Saturday and Sunday. The infrastructure know. here, just oh, yeah. efficient the workplaces. It's not yeah. going to move quickly. Yeah. So the stuff I do, where it's not the cheap, cheap end, it's the fashion end. It's like the level, the brands I can't, that I work with, I mean, they're kind of like the Zara level where it's fast fashion, where it's not cheap, but it's not too expensive, sure. and the shipments every two weeks, every yeah. week. Like, I, some of my clients, they order 200 pieces of a t-shirt, you know, 150 pieces, yeah. but the shipments every week. That's awesome. You know, so it's, it's just ongoing. Smaller, a lot of my clients are small quantity clients now. But it's non-stop, 30, 40 styles every week. Boom, boom, boom. It's not really small quantity. No, it's not. It's not. I've just been like upfront, like you know. Purpose, yeah. yeah. Like it's gone on the days for me where I get container orders right away. No, yeah. No, no, yeah, everyone's trying to cut it down to make. Yeah, I mean, I understand. Order. Exactly, I, and I understand the, what they're trying to do. Right. What's I, the, the Dell computer process? Like, didn't Dell really start that 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 process where people would make an order of a computer and they would just put it together on site. They wouldn't invest oh. in, in, in a ton of stock of this okay. type of computer. Okay. They would have I know that, but that makes parts. sense. Like a custom, custom assembly line. Yeah, they yeah, have, a local they assembly, have, like on, yeah, on site assembly. Like Michael Dell that really got that, that move, and I do, I do believe. Yeah. That's definitely the situation. Now I know it's the stuff that, that I've yeah. been trying to do lately. Like I'm yeah. trying to focus on people that have consistent stock of this product. Okay. Makes things a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than to well, that's kind of like the same same MOQ mentality right? my clients are using, my brand, the brands I work with are using. Like, uh, you know, instead of ordering stuff for the next three months, yeah. next six months, paying for warehouse, paying for storage, worrying about the business climate, you know? For sure. Month to month things. Yeah. Like, so the, the, the brand in Australia that I work with, You're so much more flexible. it's so quicker. It's so much quicker. They even send the goods by air. They air it in every week. Well, the episode I did with Felipe, you was talking about how they have algorithms that are going through like social media. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they'll see like if, some, if there's a specific uh, handbag or yeah. shirt or something yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that uh, like Kim Kardashian wears yeah. and everyone's like, where, where can I get that? And they'll be like, they'll have that in production. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Or two weeks. Fashion Nova is an example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Fashion Nova on the street, they're an example of exactly what you just said. Yeah. I think he even mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure he mentioned that because we've spoken about this before. But I mean, that's an example of how Kickstarter never really kicked off as much. Mm. You know, Kickstarter, the whole concept of Kickstarter Indiegogo, it's, it's pretty interesting, you know? Crowdsourcing, crowdfunding, all that stuff. But the second a product gained momentum on Kickstarter or on Shark Tank, Chinese factories are on it's it. Already on it. They're on it. Well, Which is a lot. It's you know, they have the crowdfunding campaign. They have it on here. They have it on here. And they, as soon as they see something hitting their goal, they're starting to move the money. Yeah. It goes right up on exactly. the fucking Exactly. So imagine American companies in the US and the UK, like Dragon's Den in the UK, who come up with this million dollar idea. 
like thinking all the fat in this, do that. And these guys are making two perversions that right. ready to go. <laughs> on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so it's, you can't blame them. They're trying to hustle. And unfortunately for Chinese people, they have hustle, they have their infrastructure. It's in the DNA. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, infrastructure-wise, it's. I mean, I talked about it. I did a video about that. I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Like, even just down to local shipping. Because I mean, this stuff factors into cost, right? Like, if you're ordering raw materials from this place, it has to ship. And all yeah, stuff. they're on point. Their infrastructure. It's on that. point. Yeah, it's fast. It's amazing. Which is why their online business is so good. Like right. Taobao, yeah, 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 JD.com. Yeah. Stuff gets delivered in one night, two nights at the most. Three nights if you're sending a Xinjiang. Extremely yeah, so the other side of the country. Yeah, and that's three nights guaranteed yeah. on Shung Fuk. For a fraction of the price yeah, of what you exactly. pay anywhere else. Which is why online comp- online business. Thailand's pretty cheap too. Yeah, but it's not as quick though. Right, yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> but that's that's how it is in Thailand, right? You, you can't expect the, uh, everything there. <laughs> but that's that's why online businesses are doing so well in China. Which is why a lot of the factories, like other factories I've found, they're happier doing local businesses now. Oh, they have, yeah. yeah. Like I work with activewear, a lot of activewear swimwear companies where, you know, quantities are, you don't need to work up the quantities of these items. And um, yeah, they just set up their own Taobao page. And every day they have at least a thousand couriers going out. Just to piggyback on what you just said, I'd say the factories that I was working with a lot five to seven years ago. Yeah. I would say at least half of them, very at the very yeah. minimum, half of them have yeah. transitioned to fully domestic sales now. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Why, why, why would I want to deal with people trying to push price down? Yeah, yeah. Super high quality yeah. concerns, payment, or, payment terms, payment in advance. Like, you get paid first, then you ship it out. Right. right? Exactly. So like, why, why am I yeah, dealing yeah, with, yeah. with other people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's also why China's the the force that it is. You know, yeah. it can probably sustain itself in a lot. Eventually. Of Eventually, yeah, what's happened is they've spent 10, 15 years, 20 years just taking money from other countries. Yeah. And now the money is here. Yeah. And then now the people have disposable. Well, the money is here. Now it's going back up because they're buying off. They're, they're buying, buying, they're buying everything. They bought all of Africa. They bought like a bunch of things. They bought the port in Sri Lanka. Of America. Of America. Dude, they bought. Shit, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Cause, yeah, oh they're everywhere. Yeah. They ha- you know, I shouldn't be saying this online. But uh, there's a. a an illegal mode of transport where I can deliver stuff to Thailand in seven days off the boat. So, uh, what does that mean? Do you want me to cut this out or can I ask more questions? No, no, ask me. Ask me. <laughs> what does that mean exactly? Uh, for example, you have. So, you if wanted, I wanted to ship something to Thailand that I usually wouldn't be able to ship or. Or if you want to avoid paying taxes yeah. in Thailand or showing off. So, basically, off the books in Thailand. Because okay. certain products in Thailand, their duties are very high. Because you try to protect the local industry, yeah. especially with apparel, they try to protect their own factories. So I would you know the right customs agent. Yeah, well, there are, <laughs> you know what they do? There's a truck that drives through from here in Bangkok. Oh, wow. <laughs> Seven to nine days guaranteed delivery. Amazing. It's crazy. Guaranteed, and they're all over. You go to Chungda, this Thai company set up there. If you go to Shisang Hang, which is like clothing market after Beijing move. It's right downstairs. Just the second you order your product, go down. Like, yeah, take it. Go. See you later. How much are you saving? It's not about the, it's not, see, I don't know how much you're saving, but it's not about the saving. It's just that seven days, you have money to sell, you know? Instead of having the whole process of importing it in or all that. I mean, for small guys, it's the best way to shoot. Yeah. Rather than there. 
other than the air, other than by sea. You have to worry about customs, taxes, all that crap. People who don't have any setup in Thailand, they don't want to go through all that headache. This is getting delivered door to door. Like literally to my office in Bangkok, ready to go. I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> and they have it in uh, they have it in Xiamen, they have it in Guangzhou, they have it in Yiwu. Ready to go. Amazing. I mean, and, and it's not one company, there's like four or five companies that are doing this. There's also a service, vice versa, and it costs more. That'd be a cool thing to document following the truck. Yeah, yeah. All the way in. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's, be hiding in <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like back in the day, that was my 80, 50% of my business was to Thailand. Yeah. And this is how I did it. This is my clients are like, listen, more than 10,000 pieces from you, ship 2,000 by sea. <laughs> Legit. And they sent it to me by, by road. Yeah. You, your early customers were Thai customers. Hmm? Your early customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Customers. So when I first moved here, I bought my business in Thailand. Because I should do a lot of textiles. That's cool, man. Yeah. So uh, I guess closing questions. Closing questions. Um, what, is the, what is the biggest lesson you've learned about doing business in China? Ooh, tons of lessons I've learned living in China. Hmm. So what's what's the what's the major one? What's the one that sticks out in your brain? What does China talk you? No, know, plain and simple, hard work pays off. Mm. Plain and simple, hard work pays off. Like you know, you see Chinese people working seven days a week, twelve hours a day. I respect them yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Like even though they not, might not be the brightest people, and they're known they're known for the copycat culture, but they are hustlers. And you know, I see my staff work late, put the effort in. You know, I gotta give them that. And it's the same way that applies to the whole China in general. People are just always on the go. They adapt quickly, man. Yeah, and they, quick, they yeah. quick. They're quick. I mean, anything Even, you need, you forget forget business. It's just everyday life. It's like, all right, what's this? All right, that's why, like, you know, things like WeChat, Alipay. Right. For two years in China, WeChat was illegal. Did you know that? WeChat Pay was illegal oh, WeChat. when it first launched. When they, yeah. when they first launched in China, the first two years of operation, they didn't have a license yet. Yeah, they, it was yeah, it was technically WeChat. Yeah, WeChat and Alipay. Alipay. Yeah, but 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 they just didn't have the license. No, and we know. Yeah, but you know why they could run? There was no laws against it, so yeah. it was a gray area. Yeah, right. Where there was no laws for it or against it yet. Yeah, I mean, those we're, were the days when there was no limit on your WeChat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, the thing was they were talking about no was, fees. I was reading about that before, and, and they were saying, okay, for example, in the US, like. There's what? What's the population? Now? Like 350 a month? 380. Yeah. 380 a 380 million, and then the amount of companies is smaller. So whenever a new company launches that innovates, it's very easy for you know the, the lawmakers to study that business and come up with a law within like a year. But because the scale of China is like there's hundreds of thousands of new startups coming up every year, they yeah. just don't have the amount of people that can monitor all these different yeah, yeah, yeah. new businesses. Until the it gets to the regulations state. can yeah. only cause yeah. come so and, fast. And mind yeah. you, WeChat was the only social networking chat platform yeah. when they first started. And there were only chats. So everyone, so this is like what, how many years have WeChat been around? 10 years now? 12 years now? I don't think that long. No, eight. I think eight? it's around eight. Eight, yeah. eight, say eight years. That's eight. Back before that, there was no chat. It was all SMS, right? Yeah. So I was then, talking to people on Skype. Yeah, there you go. But when you're on your phone, everyone who owns a smartphone now, every Chinese, every everyone who owns a smartphone in China now has WeChat because that's the only chat software, right? And then when you integrate a payment system, you haven't added another app to their phone. It's already on it. You just add another service. Yeah. 
So the integration of WeChat was such a so big. Changed and my quick, life, man. Exactly. I can't really live without it. I don't carry cash. The, the problem is I don't carry cash sometimes. Yeah. Like, stuff, like, like my IE, she doesn't have a bank account. Mm-hmm. She's like paying my salary. I'm like, yeah, sure. I keep forgetting for a week because it's cash. You know, <laughs> things like this. Like, But, you know, that's what they're quick. They're quick. They integrate anything. Yes. Uh, next question. If somebody was to get to know you better, what free books, podcasts, blogs would you recommend they listen to or read? Well, Gary Vee for sure. Gary Vee, like his podcast? Or? His podcast, it, whatever. You follow, you read his books, you yeah. really watch his podcast, uh, listen to his podcast, even Instagram, his quotes and stuff. You know, it's great. Uh, that's one. The other guy, well, see, that's for business, right? In terms of books, uh, I read there's a Afghani book called Kite Manor. Yeah, for sure. What's, what's I've read that? that. I've read that. It's uh, it's about the it's 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 about it's this from a girl's from a family's point of view, a girl's point of view about the war in Afghanistan. Wait, didn't they? Was there a, a movie? Movie about yeah. the movie? Yeah. I watched it. Okay. So I'll there's there's it. also that and the thousand thousand blended sons, which is the continuation of that. It's a whole series of three books. You know, that's that's a great book to read. I mean, not business related. I mean, I know we're all about the business and stuff, but it's great to like learn about something else once in a while. Uh, another way to get to be better. Your podcast person? No, really. I probably ever listened to one podcast in my life. I've <laughs> never got into it. That's what I'm saying. Like because I've been here for so long, like you just don't know about these things where gotta humor us man let us think that you're listening to the podcast all right you gotta lie i'm a vip on this every day the only podcast i listen to is the only podcast but you guys oh well, okay then again okay actually the tire this i maybe i'll watch I, I like i like watching a lot of comedies like uh, like stand-up comedians like um joe rogan's good i watch his yeah. podcast i watch this thing on youtube this guy like trevor so Noah. you watch so then you watch the you watch his podcast. Yeah, yeah, okay. You well, yeah. His well, yeah. Then, 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 my favorite person is John Oliver. John Oliver, yeah. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> I used to like uh, the Australian guy. Uh, what's his name? Is he also like a late night guy? Yeah, late night guy. Australian. Jeff Jim Jeffries. But then I found out now that half of his segments are nonsense. Like he's actually. Changed up. He's changing the. I think we want to watch the same YouTube video where the the, the guy. The he Jewish recorded, guy. Yeah, he recorded. The Jewish guy. Yeah, 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 he recorded the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And then he the Jewish, how so they, they went to Australia. Up his answers yeah. to make him look and like he was more racist. Um, yeah. yeah, racist. And he's just like he's a he's like a right wing guy. He's a conservative guy. Jim? Jeff? No, no, no. no the guy's no, the guy he was interviewed. Okay. Yeah. So Jim Jeffries asked them to come up to the show, uh-huh. and, then, and then they spliced up. Oh, they made him look worse than he was. Yeah. yeah. So the guy is Jewish himself from Australia. Uh-huh. And he was anti-Muslim, but he wasn't anti-Muslim per se. Okay. He was trying just to a little more hardline, maybe. Yeah, I mean, see what he was just saying. Like he didn't want the radicals to come here. Okay. He meant that. Yeah. But then, the Jim Jeffries picked and chose certain scenes of mm-hmm. the interview where it may look like, oh, I hate Muslims. So because, because, because this dude anticipated that that was going to happen, he, he set up a secret camera yeah. in the hotel room. Yeah. So it made it, it, made it look so, bad yeah. when he saw. Who's the contest? interview he did that with after that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, there's another guy, yeah, yeah I, I, I know what you're talking about. There's another, but yeah, so definitely um, John Oliver. I love watching him. Some Stephen Colbert sometimes, not as much because sometimes he's a bit too much Trump. I get that's really boring sometimes. Uh, actually, a lot of times. Uh, meaning, Hassan Minaj. Meaning the content. Yeah. The content's too much. Have you watched Hassan Minaj's show? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, Patriot Act. Patriot, Patriot Act. Act. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, like, it's you know, every episode he teaches you things yeah. where it's it's great, like things you never focused on. He basically made a YouTube show yeah. 
Netflix, yeah. a late night show yeah. Yeah. on Netflix. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's that is genius, man. Like, yeah. He did one on Amazon that I watched. Yeah, he did one about Supreme Hype. He did one about the Indian like politics, that. which is like genius because a lot of people don't know about Indian politics as much. Mm-hmm. That it's a democracy, but it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he picks stuff. Like, that's why I like John Oliver so much. Every two weeks, every week, he has a new topic. Yeah. And it's really important the things he talks about. He covers student loan in one episode. Sure. He covers things like taxi. He covers things like this thing called gerrymandering, which I never knew what, what it was you about. Oh, man, in the States? That's yeah, a big deal. Gerryman- you know what gerrymandering is? That's a big yeah. deal. So it's a big deal, but I didn't know that was an issue. And then how, That's how Trump won the election? Exactly. <laughs> but it's like you go through one pro- one state, the line, they, they would change the line it's to like, go, oh, yeah, no, now yeah, it's the. Yeah. yeah. So I was mind blown with that episode. Yeah. But, like, you know, little things like these where he picks topics that people should actually know about, yeah. but people don't. Hmm. So Especially definitely- Americans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one on um, Ponzi schemes. Yeah, that's multi, right. That's right. That's one right. That's he did one about the pharmacies too. Yeah. Yeah. He did one of pharmacies about how the big industries are. They're the biggest drug suppliers, and also, uh, of, what were they talking about? Basically, the, the industries that are meant to protect consumers, the the health industries, they're the biggest drug suppliers, drug dealers in the world actually. The American companies, like people who supply things like. Uh, Prozac and stuff like that. You know, and they're, they're the lobby against natural exactly, medicine. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. But you want to reason probably why CBD oil never kicks off. You know, yeah. that's because of them. Do you watch the uh, the Daily Show with Trevor Noah? Yeah, I do. I do. He's good. He's good. I do actually watch him every week. He's on. Well, I like him. Yeah, I like Trevor. He's good. But I really like John Oliver because he's entertaining. Really entertaining. And then. Um, if people want to reach out to you, how can they contact you? Uh, well, you know, WeChat, uh, hugani86, Instagram, hugani86, uh, how to reach out? Facebook, Akash Chugani. Uh, you spell it out later. Um, we'll, we'll link yeah, we'll everything in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll probably have some little graphics somewhere, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know how we do it. All right, man. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks no for coming around. No worries. You just want a Cardi, and I just want a Rari Go and get a body, I'm shining, now I'm guarding What do I see you burning? What you know I am is learning I'm keeping what I'm earning, I'm getting what I'm swerving You just want a Cardi, and I just want a Rari Go and get a body, I'm shining, now I'm guarding What do I see you burning?